over half of their starters were not playing, and they still held Arkansas to 24 points. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of The Lion's Lair. This is your host, Kyle J. Andrews, and I'm joined by always John Sauber, a Penn State football beat reporter, also Penn State men's basketball beat reporter. John, how are you doing today? Good. Uh, glad to be back home after a um, a day of traveling, is what I'll call it, on Sunday. But, you know, it was it was a good trip. Glad to be back in central Pennsylvania, though, with the 20-degree weather rather than – listen, I'm a big guy. I don't, it doesn't work in the heat. It's just not just not a fan. But, no, uh, glad to be back and glad to talk about uh, the last football game of the year. We kind of saw it going a certain way, right? I mean, we – it was a lot of opt-outs during the game. I mean, before the game even started. Um, you know, I know they were missing Jahan Dotson a little bit. Parker Washington played great, by the way. Yes. I, I thought he was outstanding in the game, so it's not necessarily – I mean, even though you were missing Jahan, I, I still th- thought, uh, you know, other guys played fine. Um, as we saw a couple other guys on defense, um, Jaquan Brisker, namely. Um, but Jair Brown played incredibly well, too, with those two picks. Um, you know, what, what did you think about some of the opt-outs and uh, guys like Derek Tangelo and, uh, you know, a few other people that were out? Yeah, so real quick, like – Listen, players are allowed to make whatever decisions they want, as they should. And they should be fully, like, people should be fully okay with guys opting out. However, I don't think we all always have to agree that it is the best decision for everyone to opt out, right? Like, I think some guys, and I don't want to point any fingers, could have made themselves some money by playing uh, in the Outback Bowl. You know, and there are guys that don't have sort of defined draft statuses that would have you know, uh, made opting out, I think, the optimal choice. Um, there's there's risk in, in of injury at sort of any point in time. And I, again, a very pro-player empowerment and making the de- best decisions that benefit them. I just don't know that everyone made the best decision that benefited them. And I'm curious to see sort of how far this expands, right? Like how many guys opt out just because it would be their last game or, you know, they, they've declared for the draft or what have you. But just as far as the guys that did play, uh, like you said, I thought Parker Washington was really impressive. However, I do think they missed the presence of Jahan Dotson. And what I mean by that is Arkansas didn't have to pay attention to Parker Washington like they did Jahan Dotson, right? Like there was a reason Washington was partially able to do what he was doing. That's because he he got one-on-one coverage. There wasn't always a safety over the top. He wasn't always getting knocked off his route, you know, by by guys in zones. They weren't paying as much attention to him as they would Dotson. And, you know, to his credit, maybe they should have. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the the lack of Dotson really, really hurt this team this game. The offense was, I mean, for lack of a better term, non-existent, right? Like they they couldn't get anything going. Um, they, they got the run game going a little bit. And then we see Kevon Lee finish with four carries for 35 yards, which I mean, this, I, I compared it to this in, uh, in my Good, Bad, Ugly column, which you can read at SunnyDaily.com. But there was, this is sort of the inverted Michigan State game. Right, where against Michigan State, Penn State's throwing the ball really well, and suddenly they they abandoned the passing game out of nowhere uh, and tried to start running the ball. They ran the ball nine of their next 15 plays once they went down 23 to 20 in that game. This game, they're running the ball well, and they just put Kevon Lee on ice for multiple quarters. Um, and in a game in w- which they really needed to complement their their defense, you know, they didn't have six starters in the game because of opt outs. Uh, 
and because of guys declaring for the draft, they they were they were young. They didn't have the same depth they usually do. Yet the offense still didn't try to keep them off the field. Right? They tried to play how they you always do, and and sometimes that's that's not the best decision to make. And I think the the decision making on the offense as a whole was a major issue in this game. It's incredibly comical to me when you have was it? I mean, you had five guys or four guys that that took carries that went over four yards a carry or four yards or more a carry. Um, you know, Devin Ford got one carry. He went four yards. Then you have Parker Washington on a two uh, runs that he had. They he ran had, those two fly sweeps. Where, yep. By the way, that's something they should have been doing all year. Yes, especially like they should have been getting guys in motion and getting yeah. into the ball. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that they'll probably take into account next, next year. I think it, we'll probably see some of that in the spring. Um, you know, Kevon Lee, I mean, Kevon Lee was averaging eight and 8.8 yards a game. I mean, a carry. Uh, and then Noah Kane, 5.6 yards a carry. And then you guys just are saying, okay, well, forget the run. Doesn't matter. And, and that, to me, it has to change next season. And maybe I, I think they'll be a little bit more privy to running the ball next season with, you know, the – the youth that they have coming in. Um, I mean, and then also offensive line play, um, you know, maybe they'll trust them a little bit more to run the ball. I, I think that's where it came from. It was like, oh, well, can they hold up like this? If they're doing it, they're clearly holding up, right? That's my thought process. If they're doing it right here and right now, keep running the ball. And then that gives you confidence to build off of that. What can you do better? What have you done the best in this situation? And I think they were running the ball really well. And, um, you know, also that would have kept Arkansas's offense off the field because it seemed like in the third quarter when, you know, you were throwing a ball so much, Arkansas was on the field I don't know how long. I mean, it, it seemed like Arkansas just consistently had the ball. Um, you know, they they dominated from, uh, what was it, uh, from, from rushing. I mean, strictly, <laughs> you know. KJ Jefferson didn't need to throw that much. I mean, when he and then when he did throw, it was little short passes. I mean, he averaged four point seven yards, or yeah, four point seven yards per attempt. And you know, I think if you run the ball on offense, you don't have to worry as much about their offense taking all the time off the clock. And I think that's what happened in that game. Yeah, and, and Arkansas finished with thirty five minutes and fifty three seconds of, of possession. Penn State at twenty four minutes and seven seconds. Uh, Arkansas just took the air out of the ball, ran it over and over with Jefferson, with Sanders, and even with Malik Hornsby there at the end, their backup quarterback. Um, you know, as far as the defensive guys, like, I don't know if I want to blame Penn State's defense kind of for any of this. And maybe that's giving them a free pass they don't deserve. I don't know. But they were playing without six starters in this game. Over half of their starters were not playing, and they still held Arkansas to 24 points. Now, admittedly, like, they needed to hold them lower than that, really, to have any chance in this game. But still, 17 of those points came in the third quarter when they were worn out after having to be on the field so much in the first half and after they started involving their quarterback in the run game. And Curtis Jacobs said after the game that they didn't make any adjustments. Um, and, and I, again, don't necessarily fault Anthony Poindexter for that. It's his only game that he's going to be calling plays defensively. They don't have the depth. They don't have the experience to make those kind of adjustments and, ha- like, have the faith that those guys are going to know what they are what they need to do and then being able to execute it, too. So, listen, I, I get why people would be frustrated by the fact that, like, 
you know, they, they didn't make any adjustments, but there's only so much you can do when you're that shorthanded defensively. And, and then the offense missing two players. Jahan Dotson's not there, and Rasheed Walker's not there. Everyone else was there. Still horrible. You know, and, and, and frankly, Olu Fashanu was pretty good at left tackle. Uh, Rasheed Walker had a really good year, I think, helped boost his stock up after, I mean, what you can really only describe as a disastrous 2020 season. Um, comes back, does well, but still Fashanu, you know, didn't necessarily make it seem like uh, a one-for-one replacement, but did enough to, to be solid at left tackle. So, I like this... And we can talk about this more in the future as we get deeper into the offseason. But I have real concerns that this offseason, as I wrote after the game, that this offseason or this offense will ever be able to keep pace with the defense that's been championship level for a few years now. Like like we said, the first this is the first game that I can remember with run blocking that they look strong. I mean, they look strong and then they just stop running the ball um, for I mean, for worse, obviously, not for better or for worse, but. I mean, I don't think that can keep up. Um, you know, you have to get consistency. I understand that sometimes, I mean, if something's working, go keep going back to the wall. I think that's the biggest thing with this offense um, that can change for the better. It's just that just go back to the wall. If if the pass is working, keep passing the ball. If the run's working, keep running the ball. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I think that's something that was very evident in the Outback Bowl was that it just seemed like they tried to reinvent the wheel. And I I think the offense, I mean, there can be improvements. I don't think, while, I mean, I do agree with you that I don't know if the offense will ever catch the defense. The offense can get significantly better. And that, I mean, that's not the, if you were sitting here telling me that they, you know, I, I think if they were a fully healthy team, this team wins nine to 10 games, right? Possibly. Now, at the same time, I mean, part of it has to just be better play calling when it comes to offense. And then also just, you know, guys getting stronger. If guys are in the weight room during the offseason, whatever that, you know, whatever their weight training program looks like, O-line should be a lot stronger next season. I mean, they know that. And and some of the guys just are getting better at technique. So I I, I really did like what Olu Fashanu did. Um, I think when Landon Tengwall comes in, be a better situation for him next season. He's going to be a year further into his development. I think those two guys have a very strong, you know, opportunity to be, you know, multi-year starters in the next couple of seasons. So, you know, it's not the worst situation in the world and they can get better. That's a good, that's the good news. And, you know, I, I think some guys will help, but, um, you know, let's talk about, some of the guys that are going to the NFL draft that uh, I know we talked about Rasheed Walker a little bit, um, but um, who are some of the intriguing names that, you know, you talked about with uh, with some of the guys that are leaving and some of the guys that are, you know, trying to boost their stock in the draft? Like, what do you, what do you think from some of these guys in the Pro Bowl? I mean, not in the Pro Bowl, but uh, had uh, that were that opted out of the bowl game. Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, a lot of these guys generally, you know, make the right decision for themselves, right? Like we, there are things always at play that we don't always know. Uh, I am curious to see, um, Brandon Smith is a guy that I think a lot of people have harped on his decision to leave. I, I don't, I don't really take a ton of issue with him leaving. Um, I think he is probably going to destroy the combine, right? Like he's an athletic freak. And an NFL team will look at him and say, listen, it may not have been great at Penn State, but we'll figure it out. 
and I think they'll probably be right, right? Like as long as he's utilized properly, he can be used as a pass rusher. He can be used in coverage. But I think he is such a ridiculous athlete, and I think he's a smart player, and I think he's got a really good chance to succeed. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest losses for Penn State, though, are the obvious ones, right? Dotson is going to hurt. Like there's no way around it. They, you know, they add Mitchell Tinsley, who, you know, we, we spoke to and, and uh, had a story up on CenterDaily.com, uh, spoke to him, who, and he mentioned that he doesn't want to be Jahan Dotson. He wants to be himself, and he hopes people give, some, people give him the room to do that. Um, and I think that's fair because he's he's not Jahan Dotson. <laughs> like, no one is, right? There was no one that was going to come in right away and do that. And I'll be curious to see if Penn State continues looking for wide receivers because, listen, right now, based on the way guys have played, like, Parker Washington's probably a starter next year. And I would guess Tinsley would come in and start. Outside of that, who knows? I would think Keandre Lambert Smith will start, but you know, it might be it might be too early to say he was really inconsistent this year, right? And he had struggles with drops and things like that. So uh, I, I think it's you know well within the realm of possibility that they look to add there again too. But I think the biggest gap is going to be a linebacker. Right now, Penn State has Curtis Jacobs at linebacker for next year. Kobe King, I would venture to guess, will start at the mic. Like, you know, maybe Jonathan Sutherland starts at one of the other spots. You know, maybe Jamari Budden takes one of the spots. Maybe it's Charlie Catcher, Tyler Elston. But none of those guys are blowing you away. And they don't exactly have a ton of depth. So I think a lot of these declarations, Penn State is going to have to do some serious work to replace them, specifically Dotson, though, because he's the only reason their offense finished 69th in SB Plus this year, like that high. Like in that, mind you, not high at all. It's like terrible, especially for Penn State. Uh, and really for any Power 5 program that that wants to make a New Year's Six Bowl. But he was the reason they were that high. And and if you don't have Jahan Dotson next year and you don't have a way to replicate that production and replicate the same attention that he drew away, then you're going to be in serious trouble. Uh, You know, I I think outside of that, though, uh, P.J. Mustafer coming back is a big win for Penn State. Uh, I don't think there's any way around that. As long as he's good to go for a fall camp and, and for the season, like, He's their best run defender. He's a pretty good pass rusher, too, uh, especially from the interior, obviously, where he plays. Uh, you know, Smith Filbert showed a little in the bull game that would give you some confidence that, well, more than a little. He had three sacks in the first right. half. But uh, he, you know, showed enough that, you know, if you get him and Mustafer uh, and and Izzard and, and Elise, you know, at D-tackle, then suddenly you've got something there with, with then with Filbert and Tarburton and Adisa Isaac coming back from injury last year. You know, the D-line's solid. And the secondary, like, you miss Brisker, but... You know, like you said, Tig was awesome uh, in in that game. Had the two picks. The, the first pick, by the way, just an absurd play. He's on the opposite side of the field, takes two steps in the opposite direction, sees Warren Thompson open in the end zone, sees the quarterback, see Warren Thompson open the end, end zone, and takes off and manages to pick the ball off before Thompson can pull it down. Uh, just, you know, he's probably going to be one of the best safeties in the country next year. Um, I thought he, you could make an argument that he was one of the best this year. But next to him is going to be a question mark. I think, you know, uh, Jalen Reed reasonably could step up and take that spot. Same with Keaton Ellis. Uh, and quarterback, they'll be good again, right? Like Kalen King and Tariq Castro-Fields are, or, sorry, excuse me, Kalen King and Joey Porter Jr. are, are uh, good starting corners. Castro-Fields obviously off to the NFL. But all of the questions to me come down to linebacker because you're really putting a lot on Cur- Curtis Jacobs' plate. And he can handle it. And it kind of seems like next year might be his last year at Penn State given how good he is and how high he could go in the 23 NFL draft. But if it is, like, you really want to surround him with more talent to maximize him and, and sort of let him play freely. Yeah, and I, I think they need to, you know, <laughs> it, it's got to, I mean, it's got to get stronger, right, at the linebacker position, uh, or at all of the linebacker positions, just not the one. Um, 
you know, receiver, I think it's going to take a couple of years. Um, I do, I will say though, Tinsley had a very intriguing season. He's and, good. Uh, yeah. I'm he's, a firm believer that, that Mitchell Tinsley is good. Like, I I know I said he said he doesn't want to be Jahan Dotson. He's, like, he's, he's not Jahan Dotson. 1,400 yards. But, and like, <laughs> That's nasty. Yeah, second leading receiver, too, because Jarris yes. Stearns had 1,800. Like, that offense yeah. was – I mean, I watched, watched a lot of Western Kentucky last year just because they were so much fun with those guys and Bailey Zappi and Zach Kitley calling the plays for them, but – Tinsley's good. He's 6'1", 205, big, strong, physical at the point of the catch, like can get open. Uh, speed isn't amazing or anything, but, you know, if he gets in the Penn State strength and conditioning program and, and takes a few ticks off that 40-yard dash, like who knows? Like you, you don't know what you're going to get, but I do think he's at, at the very least going to be a good starting receiver. I mean, the other thing too is like I, I just don't think Penn State had a tall receiver or a tall-ish receiver that did different things, you know? I mean, Jahan Dotson could do whatever he wanted to do, but I think – in an ideal situation for offenses, you have a receiver that, you know, is a speedier guy. You know, if that if that shorter, speedier guy, you know, can get you ev- everything that you want in Jahan Dotson, I mean, then fine. <laughs> Parker Washington seems to be like, you know, very talented. More of a, he's built like a if you want a shorter receiver, you want a shorter receiver that's built like a running back, I think. And he's got a very large catch yes. radius too. Yeah, I mean, we saw that with yeah. that. Well, that, that catch was incredible. Yeah. And also, like, but this sort of says a lot about him. It wasn't that surprising. He's yeah. done that a few times since he's been at Penn State. He did it in high school, too. Yeah, and, I mean, he's he's a very talented player. I mean, if, you know, it's hard to catch some Sean Clifford passes. It is. And, um, you know, I, I think that Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson bailed him out a lot of times. But, uh, you know. I mean, if you got if if you could throw it in their direction, just throw it in their direction. And I think Tinsley, you know, he'll help that out a little bit. But um, you know, just on to some of the changes that have happened in the coaching staff. I know we talked about Brent Pry before, um, who is building I, I think one of the strongest staffs I've seen Virginia Tech have in years. Yeah, truthfully. Just and this has nothing to do well, it has a little to do with Penn State. Hiring Joe Rudolph away from Wisconsin to coach that offensive line at Virginia Tech is a massive win for Brent Pry. He's a, he's put together an excellent staff, just like you said. With what they're doing, kudos to him. Uh you know, of course Joe Warwick, special teams coordinator, he's off to Oregon. He is a Western Oregon grad, um, played football there. But ironically enough, his uh, former teammate Stacy Collins is headed to uh, Penn State, and and headed there pretty quickly. By the way, yeah. uh, the Lorg move announced Monday, of course, reported by Bruce Feldman and Adam, Adam Rittenberg last Thursday. We're recording on Wednesday, January fifth. Uh, you know, it, not all that surprising. It seems Franklin spoke about uh, Lorg's impending departure after the game. Said, you know, he doesn't like losing guys for lateral moves, but you know, Lorg is from the Northwest and. Um, you know, it sort of intimated that it kind of made sense, even even if it was a lateral move. So, you know, and didn't basically said he wasn't going to comment on the matter, but it seemed like the writing was on the wall at that point that Lorig was leaving. And Penn State had his replacement ready to go. Like you said, Stacey Collins played at Western Oregon with Joe Lorig in 1994 and 1995, has been mostly, on, if not entirely, on the West Coast. And I only say if not entirely because he was in Vienna, Austria for a few years, which is just incredible. Uh but he spent a lot of time at Utah State recently, was Boise State's special teams coordinator last year. Um, it's always tough to tell, like, how much coaching, you know, impacts special teams, right? Like, you know, Penn State, you know, a lot of people 
like to be critical of the special teams this year because of how the the trick plays went and everything like that. But Penn State had a good special teams unit. Like I, I don't think that is really arguable at this point. Um, they were good on special teams. They ranked 29th in the country in SB+. Uh, however, Boise State ranked 15th. And special teams not able to make the same impact that um, defense and offense can have, but can make an impact. And a really bad special teams can really hurt you. If if last year was any indication for Boise State this past year, meaning 2021, they might improve under under Collins uh, compared to where they were over Lorg. And if that's the case, that's, a, a again, another big win for Penn State. Now, do I want to take the risk if I'm a head coach of getting a little bit better when I know I have a good special teams coordinator in Joe Lorg? No, but there is a chance that Penn State is better off for this. And I think that makes this a, a this quick hire a good hire. Like, I, I think it's hard to argue that Collins – uh, isn't a good fit at this point. You know, even like people will harp on that the special teams coordinator needs to be a good recruiter. All of the reporting I've seen says he is. And now, again, who, how involved he is, who knows? He's also going to coach outside linebackers and nickels at Penn State. But I'll be curious to see the sort of impact he can have immediately because I think the biggest thing for Penn State is that they just can't afford to be bad on special teams next year. Hey, if he can uh, bring a Leighton Vander Esch type of guy to uh, Penn State, I mean, wouldn't hurt a little bit, right? Yeah, and and like, listen, the the, the outside linebackers and Nichols stuff gets overlooked sometimes, but he'll be working with them in practice, and he played linebacker at, at Western Oregon. Um, and, and I special teams can be really impactful in games, even if it isn't like on a game to game basis. It can win you a game, or it can lose your game from in any game. Uh, you know. It's just not going to have that impact every single week. So, yes, people will harp on those those trick plays that Penn State like to run, but I don't know that Joe Lurig was deciding to run a trick play at those times. I think he may have just been deciding what trick play to run uh, in those situations. So, yeah, I, I think this is a good gift for Penn State. Yeah, and, I mean, just in terms of just, you know, when it comes to uh, Penn State with, uh, you know, where they're going forward, do you think that not just the the Collins hire, but um, you know some of the the Diaz hire and things like that? Do you feel like this coaching staff, and not to mention Poindexter's back, um, do you feel like this coaching staff is um, you know improved this season? I mean, I know you took a hit with Brent Pry leaving, but um, do you feel like this is a these are good moves to fill those holes? Yeah, I, I think given the circumstances, James Franklin probably did as well as he could have I mean I if I were in that position I would have been trying to hire Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State uh, as defensive coordinator however he went to Ohio State and and maybe James Franklin did try to hire him and he you know just couldn't match what Ohio State was either willing to give or the allure of coaching at Ohio State which is not sort of on Franklin uh give him the circumstances though yeah I think they probably did as bad as well as they could I already said you know about Collins like that's they have the top 15 special teams unit in the country. You're usually not going to be able to pull those guys away from other schools. Um, the fact that they did is is a good sign for Penn State. And to pull them from the West Coast is a good sign, too, because it's it's really tough to get people to, to relocate sometimes, uh, especially when it's sort of all they've known most of their career. As far as Diaz, I, I would assume they're going to be good, right? Like I, every every bit of knowledge I have and – you know, all of the watching of Miami's defense over the past, uh, over this year and then the years prior when he was the defensive coordinator indicate like this should be a good defense. 
They should be fast. It should be aggressive. They should be using multiple fronts to disguise their pass rushers. That's why Jalen Phillips and Gregory Rousseau were uh, were so successful at Miami. It's why a lot of guys were so successful at Miami as pass rushers because of them. But it's just a matter of how it translates to Penn State and their personnel. And I think Diaz has to do a good job of finding the the schemes that fit this group. And if he can do that, like like I said earlier, I think it is not going to be a defensive issue moving forward. I think the issue is going to lie with the offense. And, you know, I I don't know that I know the answer to the offense right now, but I knew, do know the starting quarterback will be back next year without a star wide receiver and then not much else has changed. So I don't know that there's much reason to expect change offensively. Now that's a bad thing on that end of the uh, end of the field, but it is a good thing on the other end uh, with the defense. We also have uh, you know Penn State basketball to talk about. Yes, um, which again very very distraught that during my travel on Sundays the multiple delays and everything led to me not being able to cover that Penn State Indiana game, which is unfortunate. Did go back and rewatch it uh, because uh, felt obligated to. That's a good win for Penn State over a. Um, an Indiana team that is tough to describe. Uh, I covered Indiana for eight months. I worked for Rivals at the time. And the issues back then in 2019, 2020 kind of are, no, that was 18, 19. Wow. Um, <laughs> the, the issues back then are sort of the same issues that they have now, right? Like, you know, they couldn't shoot then. They can't shoot now. And I don't know how this keeps happening. But Penn State took advantage. They played good defense to their credit. Those shots that they were taking were not easy shots. Um, Penn State did a really, really good job against Trace Jackson Davis in that game, too. Penn State's star forward, one of the best players in the Big Ten, uh, was a five-star recruit out of high school. Um, you know, I, I think the the biggest thing for, for him is that they helped a lot and they didn't get let him get easy looks. People look and see that he scored 20 points and, and be like, well, he played well. Well, he scored 20 points on 18 shots. You know, he wasn't exactly efficient. They were helping off the wing. They were making things difficult. John Harrow was fronting him when he needed to. He was behind him in the post when he needed to, and he just got physical with Jackson Davis and made made his life difficult, really, uh, and made it difficult for him to get any easy buckets. But I think that is a, you know, it's not like some massive program-defining win. Now, beating Purdue on Saturday might be that. Uh, that would be a huge win for Shrewsbury and staff, but that's a really good win especially when you consider this is a program that hadn't played for three weeks, right? They were on COVID pause of their own. And then their opponent, Delaware State, had to cancel the game uh, last week. So so then all of a sudden, they're, what was supposed to be like this mid-non-conference uh, stretch of playing Big Ten games against Michigan State and Ohio State became a transition directly into the rest of the Big Ten season because they haven't played a game since. So they go straight from that loss to Michigan State on the road in East Lansing a tough environment at the Breslin Center uh, to playing Indiana at home uh, in a difficult matchup and getting a big win, I think. They, of course, you know, this this podcast won't be out until after play Northwestern tonight. Curious to see how that goes. But more importantly, they, they have a big game against Purdue on Saturday, uh, a game that I, I don't think anyone is expecting them to win. I think it would be really unfair to expect them to win that, even though it is at home. Purdue's the number three team in the country and, for my money, might be the best mon- best team in the country. Jaden Ivey, one of the best scoring guards in the country. Zach Eady is a, a, just a nightmare matchup for any team. He is seven foot four. That is very difficult to guard, especially when your tallest players are John Hara and Greg Lee, who are about six eight and six nine. So it's going to be tough. Uh, but I think it is a good opportunity for Micah Shrewsbury to show how he can sort of match wits with his one of his you know mentors and and uh, Matt Painter, Purdue's head coach. So schematically, I think we're going to learn a lot about Penn State. 
and, and Micah Shrewsbury and how he can sort of counter what he maybe expects to, to, to see. You know, he, he should know more of what's coming. Uh, he should know more of what Purdue's going to run. And I think his ability to counter that will be worth monitoring in this game and, you know, could be indicative of where this program is going. But I do think that that win over Indiana and the way they've played this this season is is a really good sign for Penn State men's basketball's future. You know, since they're playing the number three team in the country, I might have to go to that game as a uh, not, not <laughs> I, I, well, just a C Purdue. That's, that's what it is. It's I be- not. I believe that is a pretty penny too at this point. Oh yeah, the, it's the, like those lower. Well, I don't want to say pretty penny, but th- I think the lower bowl is close to selling out. Yeah, which. They only open the the upper section when they sell out the lower bowl, and if the lower bowl sells out, you know those upper deck seats aren't that bad. No, I've a, sat in them as a as a child many times. Not a bad seat in uh, Bryce Jordan Center, I don't think. Well, not maybe maybe not from a view standpoint, but from a sound standpoint. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, the view, yeah, the, you can see the whole court from pretty much anywhere. It's nice, but the uh, the um, also I've never the seen audio the upper bowl. It's not a deal. The only time the upper bowl is open is Thon. <laughs> yes. So I, I believe they were open, or it was open twice. No, I believe it was last season, twice, right? And but the season before that, the the Lamar Stevens season before the pandemic hit, they they opened a few times, uh, and you know that was uh, back when I remember. And before we're about to get all nostalgic here, when I was in, I want to say when I was in high school, I remember they played an Ohio State team that featured John Diebler and Jared Sollinger and just got rocked at that game. But they, they, the, I sat in the upper bowl and it was packed. Like it was a full Bryce Jordan Center. It used to open quite a bit. And, and I think this program's on a trajectory where we could see that more, right? Like they, the fact that they're selling, you know, that many tickets to a game when they're six and five, and, and again, would, would probably be closer to 10 and five if they got those games uh, that, that were canceled. Um, but still, the fact that they're six and five selling those tickets to that game, yes, it's the number three team in the country. But you know, it's not like the most exciting brand of basketball in the world. And Purdue, I, I find it exciting to be clear. Like I, I very much like watching Purdue play basketball. They're very well run, excellent offense, excellent de- uh, defense. Matt Painter is an excellent coach. But you know, I, I, this is not like you know number one, uh, the number one picks coming to town or anything like that. Jaden Ivey's very good. Probably will be a top ten pick, but still, uh, it's not that sort of uh, that sort of game. The fact that they're selling that many tickets, I think, is a good sign. More importantly, the way they're playing basketball right now is a good sign, and I think there are a lot of reasons to believe in the future that they're going to be good uh, and that they're going to be better as they continue to improve their talent. Well, with that, that's a wrap. Thank you all for listening, John. Where can they find you on Twitter? At, at John Sauber. Kyle, what about you? Kyle J Andrews underscore amazing and if you are interested in reading more sports content from the center daily times make sure that you go to centerdaily.com slash sports podcast you're going to get a ton of sports content at at a discount so yeah, that is correct 30 dollars a year for unlimited sports digital access i don't know why you would not take that offer i see no reason not to sign there's up. no reason not to another episode coming next week so make sure you subscribe toss us a little rate too we little rate and review don't hate to see it exactly we we love our listeners but we also love to hear what you love about us so get that going thank you guys for listening and we'll see you all next week bye